Throughout this podcast, I will be interviewing people across different fields and learning about the difficult discussions that they have within their careers, along with the tools that they use to manage those conversations. The end goal is to deduct common themes and skills among different individuals that can be applied to the complex conversations one has on a daily basis. It, it helps in politics to be someone who likes to talk, but it also helps much, much more in politics, I think, to be someone who likes to listen. My name is Annabelle Walter, and this is Difficult Discussions, a podcast dedicated to finding a method to navigating difficult conversations. Uh, my name is Scott Pierman. And I am a member of parliament in Bermuda. Uh, Bermuda has a, um, a Westminster system of government like England. So we have 36 MPs who are elected to various constituencies, similar to people who are elected to various constituencies in Congress. And uh, I have a, 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 an area, a constituency, where I'm elected by the people in that constituency. And I go to parliament to represent them as one of 36 MPs in the House. Um, in addition, uh, I have a portfolio for my party, my political party, and I hold the shadow home affairs portfolio and the shadow legal affairs portfolio. So those are the portfolios that I mainly focus on, uh, in addition to my role representing my constituents. Um, and what type of difficult discussions do you have as a member of parliament? Well, I mean, I think it depends on context, right? Um, I can have difficult conversations all the time. Uh, I can have difficult conversations uh, with those in my political party. Uh, I can have difficult conversations with those in the governing political party. We're in the opposition at the moment. So the other party is the government here in Bermuda. So difficult conversations um, across the floor, across the aisle, as they say, in parliament. Um, and also difficult conversations with constituents as well, right? The people that I'm there to represent. In Bermuda, because we're so small, you often have to go and canvas each and every person in their house. They expect you to come to their home and, and knock on their door and sit down in their kitchen or their living room and have a conversation with them. Uh, and, and really, if you don't go knock on their door and meet them, they're unlikely to come out and vote for you. So it's, it's really a very personal uh, experience. And some of those conversations can be quite difficult as well. And how do you think that your identity shapes the way you approach a conversation or how you are able to uh, represent those who are in your constituency? My identity. Um, I mean, I think uh, the conversations that you, it, it helps in politics to be someone who likes to talk, but it also helps much, much more in politics, I think, to be someone who likes to listen um, and, and, you know, there is a danger, I think, in, in politics in, in many places that uh, politics, uh, politicians can you know, pontificate and just tell you what they think all the time. But in a small jurisdiction like Bermuda, uh, it's absolutely vital and essential to, to listen because you're there trying to solve your constituents' problems and you're trying to help them. Um, and it, it's vital to understand what those problems are. Uh, and, and those problems are different for different people, right? Um, I mean, there are some houses that I will go and visit and talk to people uh, and spend a day wandering down a road, knocking on the doors, and, and you'll come out and, and a lot of people will have talked about the very same issue, right? So, for example, education is an issue that always comes up when I, when I go knocking and canvassing. Um, but then there are others that are very specific to them, 
they have a specific problem. Um, perhaps they have a relative who is ill, or perhaps they are struggling financially, need help applying for financial assistance. You know, so so it really depends on the nature of the conversation. Yeah. So the importance of like really listening to what the people need and not just putting your own ideas forward. It's right. I mean, you know, no one has all the answers. Uh, and anyone who tells you they have all the answers is, is really not someone you want to listen to. The, the dangerous people in politics, in my view, are are the ones that say they, they know all the answers and, and convince you that they can solve all your problems. Because a lot of the problems uh, are very, very difficult to solve. Um, if problems were really easy to solve, we wouldn't have any problems, right? Uh, and in politics, um, a lot of times people complain about the division in politics, right? The fact that it's usually quite controversial and people are sometimes contrarian. Um, but the reality is, is that, that people have different ideas about how to solve different problems. And so that makes for a kind of back and forth dialogue on, on how to solve problems. And it makes for sometimes difficult conversations if you think it should be solved one way and I think it should be solved another, right? How do you balance valuing your own personal beliefs with sort of trying to keep that open mind and creating compromise? Well, that's a great question. I mean, I think you can never abandon your own personal beliefs, um, but that doesn't mean you're always right. And that doesn't mean you can't learn and it doesn't mean you can't change your mind. Um, I, I think having, I, I got into politics four years ago, so I'm still pretty new to this, um, but I've learned a lot. And, and sometimes your instinctive uh, reactions to difficult questions, uh, your instinctive answers aren't the right ones. You know, you, you have to hear other people's thoughts and you have to listen and you have to try to, to, to gather the points they're making. And sometimes they're good points and sometimes they're not good points. So you have to kind of sift through it. Um, but if you don't listen to other ideas, you're really not going to get to the best solution or position, in my opinion. Um, I really like a room and a dialogue and debate, uh, even around our own party table, where we caucus as a party and we try to resolve issues internally, you know, what position the party will take. Um, I would like to hear differing views around that table. I don't want to be at a table where everyone thinks the same thing, because I don't think that gets you to the best answer. You kind of want to road test your thinking and you road test your thinking by hearing what others have to think about your thinking and what you have to say about their thinking. And that helps, in my opinion, to get to a, to a better outcome and a better, a, a better potential solution. So the most productive sort of discussion is one in which multiple different perspectives are heard. I think so. I think so. I mean, obviously, you can't have so many different disparate uh, viewpoints that you never come to a conclusion, right? Particularly in politics, because effectively, um, we as a political party are trying to offer uh, solutions uh, to the problems of the day. Um, but to get to those solutions, to figure out what we believe are the right solutions, well, firstly, you have to identify the right problem. And, and that surprisingly is difficult, right? People don't always agree on what the problem is. And if you haven't identified the problem first, it's very difficult to then try and uh, implement or at least uh, contrive a solution without having figured out what the problem is. But yes, I, I do think having different viewpoints helps you to get to a better uh, proposal or, or hopefully a better outcome. Yeah, and when people 
don't agree, how do you ensure that a conversation can stay productive? And if a conversation stops being productive, where do you go from there? In politics, oftentimes people don't agree, right? And it can be disagreements of nuance, or it can be huge, chasmatic disagreements as, as to what should be done. Um, and if you're going to continue those difficult conversations, you absolutely need to demonstrate respect for the opinion of the person on the other side. When you, in my opinion, when you disrespect that opinion, you, you, they're not going to listen anymore. They're just going to tune out. Um, you see that, I think, perhaps to a higher degree in, in certain other jurisdictions, perhaps yours, um, where there are certain um, what they call hot button political issues in America. And people are so strident in their divergent viewpoints that, you know, they're not listening to each other anymore. Uh, one side is saying this, one side is saying that, and they're really not going to move. Um, and if you're trying to get to a resolution or a solution, you have to identify how it is that you can have a conversation with that other person who thinks differently than you do and see how you might get them to move or how you yourself might need to move. Um, I mean, consensus decision-making is, it's not easy, right? Because you have to balance competing considerations and competing viewpoints. Um, but I, I think respect is really the cornerstone of that. Uh, patience is also really important. Um, when you're talking about political issues, people can become incredibly passionate, and rightly so, because most contentious political issues are very important issues for people. They're very emotive. They're issues that people hold close to their heart. And so people do get passionate about it. And you've got to try and learn to perhaps keep your passion to the appropriate context. Um, it's fine to be passionate, in my view, if I'm making a speech on the floor of the House of Assembly. It's less helpful to be passionate if I'm just having a one-on-one -on -one conversation, because that passion can cause someone to become more entrenched or more strident or less likely to listen. And at the same time, you have to listen, right? So I think, I think respect is, is the cornerstone, but I also think patience is really important. Yeah, so my next question was going to be um, what values sort of guide your discussions, but it sort of sounds like respect and patience and listening are the three main ones that you uh, take into account. Yeah, and, and of course, you know, values are fundamentally important. Your, your values are your core beliefs that, that help you to try to identify problems and identify solutions. Um, when you're in the context of consensus decision making, which any political solution often will be, um, you have to obviously maintain your core values. You can't depart from that. But you can also recognize that you're not going to get what you want each and every time. You know, there could be um, 10 issues, for example. And even sitting around my own caucus room, uh, we're not going to have unity on all those 10 issues. And so what you're trying to do is try to get to the best uh, position you can. Um, obviously, you, you have to champion your own values. You can't abandon your own values. But as a political party, there has to be give and take. By definition, you're not one person making a decision. It's, it's not like the presidential system in the United States. You know, it, it, it's, it's um, party politics. Uh, the MPs go to parliament. The MPs with the most uh, seats in the House choose their leader. He or she will be our premier. 
Um, and, and then the other party becomes the opposition or other parties, plural, if there are more parties. But yeah, values are, you know, they're, they're a fundamental cornerstone there. Yeah. And, and you talk about sort of that give and take and, and compromise, but what action, um, what steps do you take if every individual is so stuck in their own beliefs that, you know, the conversation is really one step forward, two steps back? Well, that too is a great question. Um, when I'm not a politician in my, in my previous life or, or still, um, I am a lawyer by, by training and profession and a, a litigator specifically. Uh, but I also did a lot of, of mediation. Uh, and mediation, as you know, is when you try to help parties to resolve their differences by effectively what's also called shuttle diplomacy, right? You, you, you go back and forward uh, between the two parties. And you, you try to see where common ground can be found. Um, and that's really what you're looking for, right? You're, you're looking to try to get people to respect that their position may not be the only possible position. And, and if you can achieve that, that, that's a huge achievement. If you can convince A, uh, that, that perhaps there are other viewpoints and you can convince B that there are other viewpoints and then you search for, for common ground, um, when that proves difficult, you also then perhaps try and test certain of the positions that A or B hold to see how valid they are. Because sometimes you have to strip away an invalid viewpoint to try to get them to, to move position, right? Um, and you do that not by necessarily being confrontational, but by asking questions about the viewpoint that they're holding on that specific aspect of whatever's being discussed or debated and see, you know, well, why do you think that, you know, but would, wouldn't this be the other position? So again, it, it requires uh, a lot of patience and time, um, but it can be effect, an effective way of, of trying to bring people together. And it's, it's funny because they say, um, that unlike litigation, where the court will decide that one party wins and one party loses, um, with mediation, if you can get to a resolution, neither party necessarily wins or loses, but they hopefully will have gotten to a position where they're equally satisfied or, or perhaps worse, equally unsatisfied with, with the outcome that they've achieved. And on that topic of mediating, um, what do you think are the most important things for an individual to keep in mind when they are facilitating a conversation or on the receiving end of a conversation? Well, if it's dispute resolution, which is really where, where I am on, on, on a mediator and a litigator, I, I'm in the territory of dispute resolution. In, in politics, it's, it's more about you know, road testing various solutions and tweaking them and seeing if you can find consensus or at least sufficient consensus to get it uh, across uh, the way. Um, but on the former, on, on, on the sort of litigation and mediation, um, you know, it, it's sharing information and it's understanding information. Uh, a lot of times disputes arise because of a misunderstanding. Uh, again, taking A and B, you know, A thinks it's this, B thinks it's that. It's not necessarily that one of them is, you know, acting in bad faith. It's not necessarily that one, um, you know, is right and the other is wrong. And sometimes there's just a mutual misunderstanding that's led to the impasse. And that's what's created the dispute, that they both went into whatever they were discussing in good faith, but they came out with different understandings of what had been agreed. They misunderstood, right? They hadn't necessarily got it. 
And, and yes, sometimes that can be based on bad faith because some people are, you know, uh, aggressive negotiators trying to get to the best outcome, et cetera. And they're not necessarily behaving in good faith, but far more often in my experience, it's just a, a mutual uh, misunderstanding. And both parties came to something in good faith. They thought they agreed something in good faith, um, but they just didn't really understand perhaps because they didn't drill down into the detail perhaps because they didn't um, have a sufficient uh, written record of what, what was agreed. Um, and as a result, you know, they walk away, they start to interact with the proposal and they find that, that they fall apart right away because they, they both had different ideas of what the other person had said and what they'd agreed. And that sort of goes back to the concept of how important it is to really listen and you know, a conversation. Um, otherwise, there are misunderstandings that can be created. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And how do you find yourself applying the skills that you employ as a member of parliament, as a mediator, um, just to your everyday life? <laughs> um, well, I, I, I'm certainly more patient than I was um, uh, when I was younger. I, I've, I've hit 50 now, Annabelle. And um, you know, the 50-year-old me talking to the 30-year-old. I was very passionate about politics throughout my life, right? I, I, you know, I knew at 20 or 30 that I wanted to eventually get involved in, in the political uh, field. Um, but I think that I have a lot more patience now. Perhaps that's because I have kids as well. Uh, uh, as your parents may, may tell you, you know, kids, kids can, uh, they, they force you to learn a lot of patience. Um, because again, like again, parenting, right? You, you, um, if you're trying to persuade uh, a child that there is a reason to do what you think that they should be doing, um, yes, you can go for brute force and, and yelling and shouting, but you'll find that the, the child won't listen. And I don't think adults are, are, are that different. Um, if you get a very strident, loud, uh, aggressive position, I, I think for the vast amount of people that turns people off and they, they just, they don't listen after that. So you have to kind of tone it down. You have to be reasonable and respectful. Um, and you have to kind of find a way to chart a course through the conversation. Um, and that's difficult because, you know, some people are more logical than others. And, um, and some people hold to a, a point more diligently than others. And, you know, sometimes you're just not going to shake someone from a, from a point. Uh, and that's just how life is. Um, but in the political field, you know, you then try and see where the middle ground lies and you try to see how many you can get who support that middle ground. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, but you, you emphasize that you have to go in with that respect. Otherwise, you know, if you go in thinking yourself to be right um, and everyone else to be wrong, then ultimately the people will just get defensive. I, I, yeah, I, mean, I, I really do feel that respect is, is part of the cornerstone there, um, part of the foundation of, of, of trying to resolve any difficult conversation. I, I think it really is fundamental um, because if you don't respect the position of the person you're debating or discussing with, um, you, you're not going to see their viewpoint. And you need to understand what they think and how they came to think what they think. And if you, if you can't understand that, how are you possibly going to perhaps try and uh, move them in their position to a position closer to yours? I mean, you, you can't, can you? Because if you don't even understand where they're coming from and you don't respect the, 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 the viewpoints that they hold, 
you know, you're never going to be able to engage with them in a way that you might, might, uh, triple underline might, be able to persuade them to, to shift a little bit. So you're about to walk into a meeting, a conversation, and you know that it's going, it's around a difficult issue. What do you tell yourself before you go into that room or that, that situation? Well, I think you've got to be prepared, right? Both as a lawyer and a politician, you want to know what outcome you're trying to achieve as a result of that meeting. So before you go into any meeting, you want to actually be thinking about what outcome have you achieved when you walk out of that meeting? And you have to know that before. I think in politics, too, because of the way people will often distort what you say to suit their own ends, you know, you have to think about what steps you're going to take to try to get to that outcome. So you have to think about what it is you want to say, but also what it is you want to hear the other person saying at that meeting and ultimately try to get to the, to the end of the meeting. So you, you almost need a, a meeting before the meeting, um, either with your political team or your legal team. Um, and if they're not available, you certainly want a meeting before the meeting in your own head, where you kind of scenario out what it is you would like to have achieved at the end of that meeting when you come out of it. Um, because otherwise it, it can be all very meandering. Um, so, so that's probably what I would say before you go into a meeting, envisage, what you think that you have achieved at the end of that meeting and see if you can be outcome driven. I think it's a very interesting uh, subject matter because I, I think people don't often necessarily step back and look at the mechanics of, of difficult conversations, right? Um, people often just speak. Uh, they don't necessarily step back and, and, and uh, try to be analytical about the way that these things are put together and, and how the interaction, inter, interrelationship and interaction works.